Well, as you uh, have observed at this point, as I've mentioned, we are no longer in the book of John. This morning we're beginning a three-week series through the, through the psalm, Psalm 119. That psalm has 176 verses in it. It's a long psalm. So we're not going to make it through the whole thing in three weeks. But we are going to hit on many of the major themes. And one of the reasons that we decided to begin this, uh, this year with this psalm in particular uh, is because Psalm 119 is all about the Word of God. Now, if you've been at one of our uh, membership classes recently, or if you're at our annual members meeting, you've probably heard Pastor Eric talk about how we view the Word of God and prayer as the twin engines that are driving our church, the twin engines that, that, that power and fuel our church. And so that we are beginning 2024 with two separate sermon series, one on the Word of God, which is this one right here, and then uh, after that we're going to be doing a, a sermon series on, on prayer. After that we'll begin, return to walking through a book of the Bible. So I'm really glad we get to start a series with God's, on God's Word for a number of reasons. Uh, first, I can't think of a better place to start uh, by putting, setting our minds and our hearts on the Word of God. But, as I've talked with some of you before recently, and I don't know where you feel like you are at in your spiritual walk with God as you're sitting here. It may be that you feel as though your walk with God is, is increasingly fruitful. Is, uh, you're sensing God's work in your heart and your life. I hope that's the case. But I know that's not true for everyone. I expect many here feel as though you are kind of in a dry season. You feel as though God seems, seems distant, and maybe the, the younger, more zealous years of your Christian walk seem like a memory. And maybe you feel some guilt about that, but it's also paired with some confusion about, what do I do to change this? I'm not really sure. I'm not going to claim this morning that uh, we're going to answer all of those things for us, but I do think uh, that there are some common reasons that, hap- that, that that happens to people, and that this psalm is going to help address some of those things and offer us some help. So that's going to bring us to our passage today, Psalm 119, the first uh, 16 verses. So let me read that for us, and we'll get started. Psalm 119, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. This is God's word. About 10 years ago, the New York Times published an article. It was all about the social media phenomenon where people were posting different social media posts with the tag, uh, hashtag blessed. 
Maybe you, see, you saw some of those, and you almost certainly did if you're on social media. It probably doesn't seem all that odd to us now, 10 years removed from this, because it became very common. Uh, but back in 2014, it was this very strange phenomenon because people who didn't have any real belief in God at all were using it attached to all sorts of posts. And so the author of this article uh, said she observed this blessed tag on posts about people being accepted to grad school, uh, an exercise instructor getting to work at a Caribbean spa, job promotions, speaking gigs, uh, front row seats at Fashion Week. This was my favorite. A new mom putting her baby in a designer outfit. And the post went, a year of patiently waiting, and it finally fits. Hashtag blessed. Now, that trend has come and gone, but it's a thing of the past. But, but what's interesting about it, I thought, is that it exposed a belief uh, of the world that we are all still living in today, which is that we believe we see blessing. And for us, here we might say we believe we see God's blessing in things like getting a job promotion, uh, things going well at work, and beautiful vacations, our houses, our families, our babies fitting into cute clothes. Now, those things aren't bad in and of themselves, and many of them are, are gifts from God. But it does show us something, that when you think about what does it mean to be blessed, what does it mean to be blessed, that your mind goes to those sorts of things, and may be true for you, right? Goes to the ways that you have gotten gifts from God for yourself, for things that have benefited you. And because those are the pathways that we believe will bring us happiness. So when we think about blessing... That's where our mind goes. Now, one of the themes in this psalm is the blessing of knowing God through his word. That's one of the main themes in Psalm 119, the blessing of knowing God through his word. That's what we're going to be looking at today. We're looking at how do we receive that blessing? How do we receive the blessing of knowing God through his word? We're going to look at three different ways that, that, that these verses here in the psalm show us how we do that. Those will be kind of our, our guiding points today. So first, the first point, to receive God's blessing, you have to believe that God's blessing is best. Second, to receive God's blessing, you have to practice the habits of godliness. And finally, to receive God's blessing, you have to receive the blessed one himself. I'll go over those one more time. To receive God's blessing, you have to believe that God's blessing is best. To receive God's blessing, you have to practice the habits of godliness. And to receive God's blessing, you have to receive the blessed one himself. That's my hope as we look at these verses, as we go through this whole series in Psalm 119, that we would really be growing in our desire to know God through his word, and that we would really find great delight in what we find there. So first, to receive God's blessing, you have to believe that God's blessing is best. If you've studied Psalm 119 before, you know this psalm is written as an acrostic. So what that means is uh, it walks through the Hebrew alphabet. We're in the Aleph stanza right here, Aleph and Beit. Uh, Aleph is the first letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And so in the Aleph stanza, which is the first eight verses, every single verse starts with a word that begins with the letter Aleph, if that makes sense. It's probably kind of a memorization technique. Uh, and it's impressive. It works its way all the way through the Hebrew alphabet from the very beginning to the end. Um, and that very first word of the first verse translates for us to that word blessed. All right, verses 1 to 3 are all about blessing or being blessed. So I'm going to read that one more time. Read that, if you will, read, read with me as I read it out loud, verses 1 to 3. 
Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong but walk in his ways. So right away this begs the question for us, what is the definition of blessing? Now, interestingly enough, the biblical word for blessing is, is very, very close to the word for happiness. The concept of happiness and blessing are, are not quite synonymous, but pretty close. There's a sense of uh, God's favor and, and blessing being given to us by God. But if you were to say, happy are those who keep his testimonies, that is getting pretty close to what the psalmist have, probably has in mind here. Which makes the description of who is blessed pretty interesting. It's those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, who keep his testimonies, who seek God with their whole heart, who do no wrong, and who walk in his ways. So I'm curious if that sounds like a definition of blessing or happiness to you, someone who loves God's law. Right, the psalmist is talking most likely about just the first five books of the Old Testament here, right? So if, in our minds, some of the hardest parts of our scripture reading plan, that's what he's referring to right here. What the psalmist is recognizing is that the blessing of walking in God's law isn't for the sake of the law itself. What the psalmist is recognizing is that it's through the law that he's getting to know the lawgiver. So if your path in life is directed by God's word, what the psalmist is recognizing is that it can take you deeper and deeper, nearer and nearer to God himself as you get to know God through what he has written. That's why if you look in there in verse 7, the psalmist says in verse 7, he praises God when he recognizes or when he learns God's righteous rules. He's not praising the rules, he's praising God. Ron Chernow, you may know his name, Ron Chernow is a uh, biographer who wrote a biography on Alexander Hamilton. And one of the, the things he talks about, one of the most challenging parts of writing this biography, was writing about Eliza, which was Alexander's wife. She intentionally, in Ron's words, uh, tried to write herself out of the story of Alexander Hamilton. She didn't really want to be a part of it. And so what he did, she, she's a fascinating woman, she's an amazing woman, uh, what he had to do is he went through all of these different records and receipts from the orphanage that she was a part of, that she helped run. And by, by kind of evaluating what she wrote in all of those records, he kind of began to build a profile of who this woman was. Now, he wasn't doing that for the sake of the receipts. They were probably quite interesting, actually. But what he was doing was he was trying to get to know the person behind what was written. And that's the similar idea here. Following God's ways and testimonies is obedience to God, but it is also a means to a greater end, which is getting to know the one who wrote those, those testimonies, getting to know God himself better. And that is where the blessing is, is knowing God. Again, I'm curious, just to ask this question again, does that sound like blessing to you? I expect many of us here would say and think that we do believe in that definition of blessing, but functionally... When we imagine what we want our life to look like, what we daydream about, it winds up being something different. Right? What we daydream about might be something entirely different than growing in our love and relationship with God. Often has to do with things like winning the lottery, maybe getting a big YouTube following if you're a YouTuber, um, a special kind of retirement, living in a specific place. 
Right? For many of us here, I don't think our daydreams often are about growing in our relationship with God himself. But with that said, it can be pretty difficult to feel as though you can actually control your desires. Right? So it makes it difficult to do what we're saying here, which is to say, to believe that the blessing of knowing God is the best blessing. Right? How do we do that? How do we believe that if our desires actually aren't lining up with that? Well, a man named C.S. Lewis, who many of you probably have heard of, wrote an autobiography of sorts called Surprised by Joy, where he writes about his experience of becoming a Christian. And one of the aspects of his journey, it's really interesting, to faith, aspects of his journey to faith was realizing that the satisfaction that he was getting from kind of some of these popular blessings that we've been talking about were really quite empty. The satisfaction wasn't quite there when he was trying to actually evaluate it. When he was trying to kind of wrap his, his arms around it, it would kind of evaporate. And he writes this, The surest way of spoiling a pleasure is to start examining your satisfaction. The surest way of spoiling a pleasure is to start examining your satisfaction. Now, not many of us are going to have the same kind of introspective genius as C.S. Lewis, but it's still useful. Those popular blessings of material pleasures, physical pleasures, if you begin trying to evaluate how satisfied you are while you're experiencing them, it's going to be really hard to grasp, especially if it's separate from the Lord. And without the Lord, those, those, the satisfaction of those things are very much limited to the moment of experience that leaves you craving for more, not feeling satisfied. But on the other hand, the joy of knowing the Lord brings not only lasting and genuine satisfaction, but it also gives those popular blessings, as long as they're in keeping with what God, how God instructs us to live, it gives those popular blessings life, too. We're able to enjoy them differently. Now, to stay on this Lewis train a little longer, he gives this picture of what this kind of blessing is like in the last battle, where all of Aslan's creatures have finally entered Aslan's country. And their cry, maybe you know this, is further up and further in, further up and further in towards the being at the center of all things, nearer and nearer the creator, discovering the new heights and depths of his love and wisdom and beauty and power, but never running out of things to discover about him. Now, we don't have to wait to heaven to get a taste of that now. We can know God himself through his word and knowing him is the greatest source of this blessing that the psalmist is talking about here in Psalm 119. But in order to enjoy that blessing, we have to believe that God's blessing is better than the other blessings that we have available to us. Which should leave us asking, how is it that we do that? How do we help our hearts grow in believing and desiring God more than anything else? Desiring knowing God more than anything else? That's going to lead us to our next point. To receive God's blessing, you have to practice the habits of godliness. I, uh, I love playing guitar. I've been playing for about 20 years, a little over that. It's one of the few places where I can just lose time without even thinking about it, realizing what's happening. A couple months ago, um, I started watching some online tutorials on how to play jazz guitar, because I thought that was cool. And uh, the... The, the, the website had kind of three levels that you could start. You could either start at the beginner, intermediate, or advanced. So I, thinking that I had been playing for quite a while, thought I'd be rather humble and start in the intermediate level. And so I start watching this, the intro video, and I get about a minute into the intro video, and I realize very quickly I'm in the wrong place. This guy 
is talking about casually chords and progressions and other things that you do with a guitar that I'd never even heard of. And he's talking about them as the intro, as here's the things you need to be doing each day if you want to be able to do what I'm about to teach you to do in this course. So I felt uh, a little indignant and hum humbled, and I left. I've not actually begun the beginner stage, but I'll let you know if I do. Um, but the point of that story, the point is, if we want to grow in any area of life, there are fundamentals that we have to be doing, have to have in place if we want to grow. That's the case here as well. The psalmist is going to walk us through several fundamentals of the Christian faith, what I'm calling here the habits of godliness. Now, before we look at these habits, I want to look briefly at, at verse 4, just to kind of set these up for us. <clears throat> so if you have your Bibles, look at verse 4. The psalmist says that God has commanded his precepts to be kept diligently. To be kept diligently. I think that's an important thing for us to keep in mind who are living in the new covenant time. Now, we aren't being guarded by the law as new covenant believers in the same way that the Israelites were. But at the same time, it's really important for us to remember that God's law isn't just this mean, mocking way that God was trying to uh, just show the Israelites how bad they were. It's a picture, understood in proper context and interpretation, of what life looks like that is actually perfectly devoted to God. And because of that, it functionally does show us how far we are from hitting the mark. But the law is not just a bully. Right? The law is meant to be a reflection of God's character and his ways. I say that because the tendency, I think, for us is to view the instructions of Scripture with kind of a casualness that can be dangerous. Which we, we know it isn't what we do that saves us. It's by grace alone, through faith in Jesus. But once we're in God's family, there are family expectations for how we act. So if we want to know God and get to know what he's like, what he wants us to be like, then we can't take his instructions for living casually. These things really do matter. The other danger that we can run into is, is this idea that we, we have to have our, our, uh, our affections in place first before we do the habits of godliness. Now, I think there's, there's, a, there's a good fear there. We don't want to be legalists who just do the things that we're supposed to do without any care about God himself or getting to know him. That's a worthy concern. But the reality is, as humans, our hearts often actually follow our habits, You've, you, maybe you've noticed this. Our, 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 our love grows for things as we spend time doing them, as we uh, make them a priority, as we get to know about something or someone better. It's not that we ignore the harder affections at all, but this is one of the ways. These habits, properly understood, are one of the ways that we help our hearts actually grow in a desire to know God in a more deep way. Okay, so all that said, let's look at verse 5. Take a look with me. The psalmist starts out by asking God, for help. This is the first habit of godliness. He starts out with prayer. Now, I mentioned this uh, earlier. We're, gonna beginning a, we're going to be beginning a prayer series in a couple weeks. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this one, but I just want to observe a few things about how the psalmist is praying here in verse 119 with me, or I want you to observe it with me. Verse 5, he acknowledges that his desire is to keep God's law, but it's only a desire without God's help. You see what he says there? Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Which is relatable. Right? I want to be faithful in keeping God's ways, but I not only need God's help to know what those ways are, but I need his help in order to actually keep them as well, to be faithful and steadfast. So that's the first one. Next, verse 8. I'm going to go through these quickly. 
The psalmist asks God not to forsake him, not to abandon him as he follows God. Next prayer, verse 10, he asks God to keep him from wandering from his commandments. Right, we just sang something very similar to this, right? Prone to wander. We're all prone to wander. We feel that. We need God to seal our hearts if we want to stay faithful to him. Verse 12, teach me your statutes. Even as we read God's word, we need his help to understand what is actually going on here. That's the Spirit's work that takes place. But we need to ask him for help as we read scripture to know what it means. So those are kind of some of the areas that the psalmist is praying here. There's a lot to learn from it. But just to distill it down, one of the habits of godliness is regularly asking God to help us, the Lord to help us in our understanding of his word and in following. So both things. We need his help to understand it, and we need his help to follow it. So that's the first habit of godliness, regular prayer. Let's look at the next one, verse 9 and 10. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. So this next habit of godliness is guarding our lives with God's word. Now, the psalmist frames this one in kind of an interesting way, doesn't he? How can a young man keep his way pure? Now, this is likely a young man writing this. We can expand that out to all of us. It's not just for young men. But regardless, I'm curious if that question resonates with you. How can I keep my way pure? Not from being polluted. Maybe that you know what that feels like, that sense that your life is polluted by sin. That you just have to keep on asking God for forgiveness over and over again. Keep on confessing sin to a friend or keep on asking your wife or your husband for forgiveness. That sense that your life is just polluted with the sin. Those sins that can make our lives feel as though they're polluted are very, very dangerous. For a couple reasons. They're dangerous, one, because they're deceptive. The evil one wants us to think uh, and believe that our flesh, when it says there's some kind of satisfaction or enjoyment you're going to get in these sins that are impure. And there often is, briefly, and then you're left feeling polluted. And the second way those sins are dangerous is after that's happened, they cloud your vision of God. Right? You, you think God does not want you to come to him. And it drives you away from the one who wants you to come to him for forgiveness and mercy. So your time gets colder. Your time with the Lord gets colder. More brief, just transactional with the Lord. But there's a way to protect against this. There's a way to protect against that. And the psalmist listed here by guarding your life according to God's word. In other words, regularly reading scripture, examining your life against what you see here. And that's going to help you both when the temptation comes, because you're going to have scripture to use to fight against it, like Jesus did against Satan when he was tempted. But it's also going to keep you coming back to God's character, his love for you, his mercy. That never runs out, his everlasting kindness to sinners who trust him by faith. But I expect that if you're here and you actually feel like that verse is aimed at you, how do I keep my way pure by guarding it according to God's word? It's less about knowing that this is the way that you guard your life, and it's more about the struggle of actually putting it into practice. I remember once hearing a well known Christian counselor who would. Uh, whenever he would talk with men who had fallen in significant ways, especially in the area of purity, he would ask them, 
when it was that they stopped their regular devotional time with the Lord. And to my recollection, that consistently there was always an answer to that question. If you want to fight against impurity in your life, it has to begin right here by spending time with the Lord. And it has to be regular. It has to be consistent, wholehearted pursuit of God through this. There's a reason that Paul calls Scripture the sword of the Spirit. It's our best weapon against the evil one. So I just encourage you, grab the sword. If you're struggling with impurity, do not leave the sword lying down there. Regular time in God's word is how you're going to keep your life guarded from impurity. On a practical note, we've been encouraging these Bible reading plans. I announced it earlier today. We've been doing it for the last couple years for a reason. Uh, We don't do it because it's like this cool Christian badge to have read through the Bible in a year or to have read through it a lot of times. It's a good thing to do. That's not the reason we do it. That's dangerous if, that's, if it's a prideful reason. We do plans like this because we want all of us to be coming into contact with the Lord on a regular basis. We want to have tools to fight against the evil one and sin. We want you to keep being reminded what God is like. Have his character over and over again impressed into your mind and your heart. That's how we have the sword available to fight against sin and the devil and get to know God. You don't have to read through the Bible in a year, but one of the fundamentals of the Christian walk of faith, one of the habits of godliness, is regular time in God's word. So that's the next habit. That's the next habit of godliness. So let's look at the the next two. We'll look at together, verses 11 and 15. That says this, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's verse 11. And then verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. So storing up God's word in our hearts, scripture memorization. It's not just for kids. It is for kids, but it's for all of us. Scripture memorization. God's word is not meant to be read and forgotten. It's meant to take up residence in our hearts and our minds. And to do that, we have to let it in. You don't, you don't uh, get tomatoes to grow by throwing seeds on the ground and not doing anything. You have to bury them into the ground, water them, allow them to then bear fruit. Same idea here. Now, one huge advantage we have today is there's all sorts of memorization apps and tools. One of our family's favorites is uh, we, my wife, Megan, has found all sorts of really solid songs that set Scripture to song that are actually quite decent, uh, musically decent songs. So if you're interested in any of those, talk to me afterwards. I can tell you what they are. I find it much easier to memorize that way. So Scripture memorization and then there's another one here in verse 15, which you probably saw as, we, as I read it there, which is meditation. Meditation's related to scripture memorization. Now, just as a caveat, this is not Eastern mystical meditation, where you're trying to kind of empty your mind. This is a Christian meditation. The meditation the psalmist is talking about here is taking some aspect of what you've read in scripture, some truth about God, something that's kind of stood out to you about him or what he's given to you or what he's promised, some truth. And then just thinking about it, wrestling with it, considering it, maybe trying to argue with it a little bit just to test it and see where it, where, what, what makes sense of it, how it works for you in your life, what, what God is trying to say. Charles Spurgeon uh, said that, that truth, especially God's truth, is like a cluster of grapes. <laughs> if you want to get the juice out, you have to bruise it, squeeze it. And I, said, I think he says almost verbatim, you have to joyfully stomp it if you want to get the juice out of it all the way. That's what Christian meditation is, is taking God's truth and filling our minds with it, filling our minds with God's beauty. 
not emptying our minds. Christian meditation makes us more truly human as opposed to the Eastern, which is kind of makes you less human by removing your God-given ability to reason and wonder at God. This idea is, is honestly still fairly new to me. It's not something I've, I've understood or thought much about until recently. Earlier this year, I heard Tim Keller talk about it in a preaching class he gave at RTS many years ago. And after that, I started seeing it in all these writings of, of people that I really respected. So Charles Spurgeon talks about it here. J.I. Packer talks about it in Knowing God. Keller obviously talks about it, as I said. The Bible <laughs> talks about it right here. So I think we need to pay attention to this idea, not let the, that Eastern mystical version of it scare us away. We're a very head-oriented tradition. Like we're, we're, we are a part of a very head-oriented tradition here. That's a great thing. God's word is deep and wide. And there's much to learn about God. But we want to also make sure our hearts don't uh, get left behind. We want to engage our hearts as well. And this is one of the ways we do that. Scripture is meant to become a part of us, like interwoven into our hearts, into our thought life. The Spirit can do amazing things with Scripture in our lives when we're savoring it in our hearts, when it's becoming a part of who we are. All right, there's two more. We're going to go through these briefly. Two more habits of godliness, uh, which is declaring God's rules and ways with our mouths. Speaking about what we're learning to people about God, it's a great way to kind of see what's going on in our hearts, what we want to talk about with our friends. I encourage you, this is a great way to encourage your Christian brothers and sisters to be telling them about what God is doing in your heart, like declaring the goodness of God. It might feel a little awkward at first. It's not always a normal way of doing conversation, but you will find it will encourage you and it will encourage others if that's something that you're doing. And then lastly, last habit of godliness we're going to look at this morning. It's in verses 14 and 16. <clears throat> I didn't mention which verse that last one was. That last habit of godliness was in verse 13. With my lips I declare the rules of your mouth. And now verse 14 and 16. <clears throat> in the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. In verse 16, I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Delighting in God's word. <laughs> and he says as much as in all riches. The psalmist knows what you probably love what we all probably love, so he just kind of sneaks that in there. That's a little comparison for us, which is helpful. Now, what would you do if you got a $100,000 check this afternoon? You would think about it a lot. You'd be, I, I expect, you'd probably be thinking about where you'd want to spend it, where you'd save it. You'd probably tell some people about it. All right, that's the kind of devotion and delight the psalmist is taking in God's word, delighting in God's word as much as in all riches. There's an active role that we have to take in helping our hearts grow in delight. And we've been going through them here this whole time. All of these habits of godliness, the guarding our minds with God's word, reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, speaking about it, all of these will help us grow in our delight of what we are learning about God as we do these things. But with all of that said, the delight thing is kind of a problem all these habits, you might be doing all of them. You might be reading God's Word. You might be thinking about it, memorizing it, meditating on it. And yet, a check of that magnitude or bigger would actually give your heart more delight than the thought of knowing God does. It's the case likely for many of us. And that brings up a really major problem that we have not yet addressed in this psalm. It's going to take us to our last point. To receive God's blessing, you have to receive the blessed one himself. So I'm curious, as we've been going through the psalm, have you noticed all of the very strong 
absolute language that is all throughout this psalm. The people are blessed whose ways are blameless. Now, this is poetry. The psalms are poetry, and it's part of a genre called wisdom literature. So we can expect there to be some poetic words and phrases. It's my hyperbole. It's meant to drive home a point. But it's not just one time here. It's over and over again in the psalm, and even in our verses here. Right? These absolute statements about devotion to God. Right? People who seek him with their whole heart, who do no wrong, who keep their eyes fixed on all of God's commandments. And then these delight verses. Now there's a couple options for how to figure this one out. One is to say all of it's poetic. Right? So uh, he's just kind of talking directionally about our lives. Directionally, we should be heading towards blamelessness. Directionally, we should be wanting to believe in God. But if it's all poetic, then the blessing's poetic too. You can't just choose, pick and choose which part of the, of the psalm you want to make poetic there. So it's just, but then it, that just means it's a bunch of nice words put together, which I don't think is true. There's another option. I'm going to take us back to Deuteronomy 31 for this. Deuteronomy 31.19. This is God speaking to Moses about the Israelites. He says this, Now therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. So Ed Clowney makes the point about this passage that the songs of Scripture, and particularly the Psalms, are both given to us by God as a way for us to praise and remember Him, but also as a witness against us. In other words, as you sing, or as our case, as we're reading this psalm, one of the things that it should be doing is showing you how you have failed God. Isn't that interesting? It kind of paints this whole psalm in a very different light then, doesn't it? And, and it might seem like it's actually getting a lot closer to home for you. Because you don't delight in God's word as much as in all riches. You don't guard your life with scripture in the way that you ought to maintain a pure life. You don't seek God with your whole heart. So if you've been feeling a little uncomfortable as we've been going through the psalm so far, so, so far this morning, that may be because it's doing its job. So if that's the case, and this psalm is showing us just how far we are from walking in a way that's blameless, then how are we supposed to get the blessing? Who is this about? Who is blessed according to Psalm 119? If our way's not blameless, and none of us are, then we aren't going to get the blessing of having a blameless way. So that blessing has to come to us a different direction. And so Paul writes this in Romans 4. How we get the blessing. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. And listen to this. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Do you see that there? How, how we receive God's blessing? By God counting us righteous or blameless apart from our works, apart from our way, apart from how holy we seek him with our hearts. And the way that God did that, Jesus came to earth as the word incarnate, the word made flesh. And he lived this, right? He lived in a way that was blameless, 
He walked in the law of the Lord. He kept God's testimonies diligently so that he could receive the blessing and then give it to you if you trust in him by faith. And even though he kept all of these statutes perfectly, he was forsaken by the Father, so you wouldn't be. So that that prayer in verse 8 for us, if you're a follower of Jesus, becomes, although I haven't kept your statutes, you have not forsaken me because you forsook the one whose way was blameless. This is so important for us to understand. If we want to enjoy God's blessing, we have to realize that the incarnate word himself has done all of this for you. All of it for you, to give you God's blessings. If we don't recognize that, then all these habits of godliness that we've just been talking about, if it's separated from a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, then they do become legalistic activity. Right? You, you, if you separate, if, you, if you're doing all these habits and it has nothing to do with a relationship with Jesus, then it's going to make you a legalist. You'll be a biblically literate, orthodox, contemplative, maybe a bold evangelist for God's word, but you will still be a legalist. Because without this peace in place, it's just a transaction with God. I did what you told me to, God, now give me your blessing. No relational closeness, no sense of drawing near to the Almighty through Jesus. But if we do recognize those things are in place, then all of these habits, reading God's word, meditation, memorization, speaking about God, all of that does draw us closer to God and help our desire and our delight in him grow as Christians. The blessing of Psalm 119 is God himself. He is the blessing. It's knowing him, knowing his ways, knowing what he is like, knowing his standards for you that you have not met, and then knowing how he fixed that by sending Jesus so that all who trust in Jesus can then draw near to God and receive God's blessing. Now, as I've been saying all this, I hope none of these things are intended to negate all those habits of godliness. Those are all still the fundamentals of the Christian faith, but they have to be in this context. And I hope and I pray as you remember how it is that God has given us his blessing, how he's given you his blessing, that it will give you a much greater motivation and desire to seek the God that would do this for you. There is great blessing in knowing God, and we get to know God right here. This is where we get to know this God that we're talking about. So the reading, the memorizing, the meditating, the talking, and the learning here, all of it comes back to how God has revealed himself in his word. This is where we learn about Jesus and how he is the blessed one that we can receive. Let's pray. Fathers, we read this psalm, we're struck by just how far we really are from following you, desiring you in the way that you want us to. We recognize our hearts are often cold when we, we wish they were warm. Our habits are much more oriented towards selfish desires or worldly distractions. And yet, Father, you still want to know us, and you still want us to know you. You still want to bless us, and you sent Jesus Christ to live that life that we didn't, that we can't, so that we can receive the blessing from him. Thank you, Father. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you haven't left us in the dark about what you're like, what you require from us, or the way that you've chosen to rescue us. 
Father, we want our hearts to grow in our love and affection and our desire for you. We want our lives to reflect how great and beautiful you are. But we need your help for that. And so we do ask for it. We ask for your help. We ask that you would excite our hearts and our minds this year. We ask that you would help our ways be steadfast in seeking you. That we grow in our desire to behold you, to draw nearer to you through Jesus Christ. We ask all, things, all of these things in his name. Amen.